Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Father in heaven, we pray that we might declare Christ that he might acknowledge us before you. As we hear your word, Lord, we pray that you would work within us to open our hearts to it and to guide and direct us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, perhaps one of the most famous statements in recent history made about fear was something Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, a statement so famous that not only could you probably recite it, but I think you could probably say it the way he said it. You could imitate the way he said it, which I'm going to try to do, but I'm not really good at accents or anything. But he said something like this, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That was a bad impersonation. Sorry, you'll, you'll have to imagine it. But uh, I'm not embarrassed because, to be honest, if you think about it, it's kind of a bad sentiment as well. There are actually a lot of things to fear apart from just fear. There are real threats all around us, right? From a risk assessment point of view, this is not very inspiring. But from a political standpoint, it's actually pretty brilliant. One of the gifts of a modern politician is the ability to put into words things that people already believe preferably things they already believe about themselves. If you've ever wondered why it is that our politicians spend so much time flattering us, telling us wonderful things about ourselves, about people like us, about our national traits and spirit, it's precisely this, because this is the kind of thing we like to hear. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, For a people who already believe themselves to be basically fearless, these are wonderful words of encouragement. When Americans think of themselves, that's how we think. We are fearless people. There's nothing that we like more than an appeal to be fearless. Because it seems to be something that comes so naturally to us. The thing we hate most is the accusation that we are fearful. We believe we are fearless. We don't want to be told that we are fearful. Since 2020, a popular slogan has emerged, faith 
not fear. One of the stupidest things that people in recent history have said, I say it's stupid because it is, and also because we've all said it, and if we haven't said it, we've thought it, the logic of that, dismissing other people as irrational fearers when I act in faith, whatever it is I do. The irony of the slogan, of course, is that you can say it no matter what you believe. Everybody believes that other people do what they do out of fear. And everybody believes that they do what they do because they are fearless. They do it on principle. You're afraid of death? You should have more faith. You're afraid of losing your rights? You should have more faith. One thing, though, that all of us seem to agree on is the virtue of fearlessness. That fearlessness is good. Fearlessness is desirable. Because whenever we want to invalidate something, we just say it's born out of fear. Fear is bad. Fearlessness is obviously good. The right way to live your life is fearlessly. The right way to follow Christ is fearlessly. Do you know that the most frequent command in Scripture is do not fear, do not be afraid? The Bible actually tells you do not be afraid more often than it says things like repent and believe. Can you believe that? Fearlessness, a call to be without fear. Ironically, though, if you were to go based on what we already believe about ourselves, this common command in Scripture is actually one of the most redundant commands in Scripture, at least for Americans, because we don't need to be told not to fear. We already don't fear. Jesus says, fear not. And we say, don't worry, Jesus. We weren't planning on it. We're Americans. Of course, we're not going to be afraid. As far as we're concerned, the teaching of Scripture is fearlessness. The way to be a believer is to be fearless. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, can we actually be fearless? Is it possible for finite, fallen human beings to actually be fearless? How exactly would we be fearless when we are surrounded by so many threats? Consider the example of Moses, a great man of faith, a leader of the people of God, when he found himself before Mount Sinai. The author of Hebrews gives us the quote, Moses said, I tremble with fear. Not I'm fearless, but in the presence of Sinai, I tremble with fear. Moses was afraid. If you'd been there, would you have called him out? Would you have rebuked him? Would you have said, Moses, have more faith. What's wrong with you? Or would you have trembled as well? We tell ourselves it's as easy as this. Just be fearless. But what Jesus says as we study this passage is more complicated than that. Jesus isn't just saying the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Jesus tells us, fear not. But then he turns around and says, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Is that a contradiction? Hardly. He's talking about two different things. He's talking about two different 
kinds of fear. What we might call a wrong fear and a right fear. The wrong fear is bad, but the right fear is good. Jesus calls us to fear not, and in the same breath calls us to fear. Do not fear what you shouldn't fear. Fear what you should fear. That's the message of our text. Now the wrong fear is the fear of man. And the right fear is the fear of God. Now I know when we talk about the fear of God, people are quick to point out, fearing God doesn't mean being terrified of God. It doesn't mean being, you know, shaking in your boots afraid. It means having reverence and awe. Sure. But for our purposes, what we're thinking about is not how to define fear. We're thinking about the effects of fear. Because both of these fears have the same effect, and that's what Jesus is concerned about. These fears shape behavior. We act or refuse to act based on our fears. And so Jesus is telling us, don't be shaped by this kind of fear. Be shaped by that kind of fear instead. If you're afraid of what other people will say about you or do to you, based on what you say or do, then you won't say or do things that will get you in trouble. That fear of man will shape the way that you live. It will dictate to you how you will live your life. Jesus says, don't let that happen. As he sends his people out into the world, he knows that in the context of persecution, it's natural to be afraid. But don't let that fear shape you. Don't let that fear of man determine how far you will follow Christ. It's not as if Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of them because there's nothing they can do to you. Right? He's not saying the fear is irrational or that the threat is not genuine. He's already acknowledged there's a lot that they can do to you. They can hate you. They can flog you. They can kill you. Those are all bad things that none of us would like to have happen to us. All of those threats are real. But Jesus says don't let fear of those things stop you. Don't let fear of those outcomes change the way you live. That power is real. The power of man is real. But the point is, it's also limited. There's a limit to what they can do. The worst they can do is kill you. Now, I realize that doesn't sound very limited. If I said, look, I really dislike you, and I've decided to take out my anger on you, but don't worry, I'm only going to kill you, and I will stop there. That would feel like you're not really limiting yourself. You're kind of going like nuclear on me, right? Uh, medieval, if you will. But Jesus acknowledges that as a really real limit. Like the worst they can do is kill you, which shows what a different grasp of reality he has than us. That something like this is so evident to him and so difficult for us to recognize. They can kill the body, he acknowledges, but they cannot kill the soul. Instead, Jesus tells us we should be shaped by the fear of God. And he gives us two reasons why. 
we should be shaped by the fear of God. There's no limit to God's power, for one thing. He can destroy both body and soul in hell. He can go farther than they can go. Whatever they can do to you, he can do much more. So there's no limit on his power. But also, there's no limit to his goodness. There's no limit to his providence. You are of more value than many sparrows, he says. You're much more valuable than the the seemingly trivial things that God shows so much concern for. So why would you be afraid of what people can do to you when God loves you and cares for you so much? That second point about God's providence, of course, is an echo of something Jesus has already taught. So the apostles, they would have been there at the Sermon on the Mount. They would have been there for Matthew 6, where Jesus talked about God's providential care. This is uh, Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So he's repeating himself. He's making the same point again when he talks about the sparrows here. Maybe they needed to hear it again. Maybe that's how quickly you forget these assurances of God's care. He's reiterating to them lessons they've already learned and need to Keep learning. There is no limit to the love and the care of our Father. We can rely on His good providence and so have no need to be anxious even though we find ourselves as sheep in the midst of wolves. We can do that without fear because we rely on Him. There's nothing that can happen to us apart from His providential care. No power is possessed by anyone over you that hasn't been granted to them by God Himself. So in that sense, Jesus liberates us from the fear of man by telling us that it is God, not man, who controls outcomes. The thing you're fearful of is ultimately in God's hands, not man's. So don't fear man. Fear God instead. But that's his second point. That's the sort of warm and fuzzy point. The the point I want to kind of think about is the first point, which is the sort of hard-edged point where he says... Don't fear man, because man can only kill the body. Instead, fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. Because that's not comforting. Those are not words of comfort. And yet, Jesus gives this as a rationale for us in how we should fear. We should fear God because He can destroy us, body and soul. It's as if He's saying, if you're worried about the sentence that will be passed down in the court of man, don't worry Because in the court of God, that's where things really matter. There's nothing the court of man can do to you, but the court of God can do a lot. That's where you need to be concerned. That's what you need to be afraid of, basically. Human fearlessness is not a question of having no fear at all. That's impossible. That's foolish. Rather, human fearlessness is about having the right fear and not the wrong one about fearing what we ought to fear and not fearing what we shouldn't. You are going to experience fear. And if you feel the wrong fear and you listen to it, you're going to go the wrong way. So instead, fear the right things to fear. They will lead you in the right path. Now, 
as you think about what Jesus is doing, he's counseling a kind of fearlessness that is enabled by a fear. That the fear of God is what allows us to be freed from the fear of man. He's reorienting our hearts. He's reorienting, you might say, our fears. You're probably familiar with Augustine's famous way of describing sin as disordered love. The idea that we don't sin out of bad motives, but we sin out of good motives, but they're disordered by our sin, right? Our hearts are corrupt, and so we long for things that we shouldn't long for, and we do things that we shouldn't do, but it seems good to us. It's because our passions, our desires are disordered. And so what we need to be restored by grace is a reordering of our hearts, a reordering of our loves. Jesus here, I think, suggests that the disorder goes deeper, that there's a disorder of our fears as well, that human beings suffer from disordered fears that lead us not to fear what we should, and instead to fear things that we should not fear. And that this kind of disordered fear governs our lives in a way that is largely invisible to us because it influences how we weigh the importance of things. What sacrifices we're willing to make and which ones we're not. What consequences we try to avoid and which consequences we ignore. If we had to put a fine point on it, I'd say the the focus of all this disordered fear is on the question of judgment. We fear the wrong judgment and not the right one. And it leads us astray. When Jesus speaks here, he's speaking in eschatological terms. Things that are, are, are spoken in darkness will be revealed in light. Things that are whispered will be shouted from the rooftops. There's an idea of fulfillment as the, the, the kingdom message is progressively revealed. It will come into its own. It will come into power. But as we saw last time, the, the coming that seems to be foremost in Jesus' mind here is a coming in judgment. The idea of judgment recurs throughout Matthew 10, being dragged before courts, being judged and punished. It's it's all woven into the fabric of what Jesus is saying. And it's when it comes to judgment that our fears are all messed up. Just because you believe in Christ and have the gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that suddenly your heart is fully renovated And you fear rightly. Clearly, the apostles need to be instructed here. Even though we have faith in Christ, we continue to struggle with these disordered fears. We continue to refuse to learn what judgment we should take seriously and what judgment doesn't matter. It's as if Jesus is calling us to live as if the judgment that really matters to us is final judgment, God's judgment even if in our hearts it doesn't feel that way. That's the reorientation. He's basically saying, act as if you get it. Live as if you understand. And if you do that long enough, you might start. In other words, fear rightly, and you will be reoriented in the right direction. Retraining your fears, basically, is what Jesus is talking about. 
It's the same thing that Simon Peter talks about. Right? Simon Peter was here. He got the instruction. He was at the Sermon on the Mount. He was here at this sending. He heard what Jesus had to say about fear. Better than hearing it, he passed it down to the next generation as well. You look at 1 Peter 3. He teaches what Jesus taught him. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." How do you change your fears? It seems as if Peter is putting his finger on it. But to change the orientation of your fear, it really does require a change of heart. Instead of having anxiety, instead of being troubled, what he says is do this instead. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Which is another way of describing the fear of the Lord. In your heart, don't entertain fear of man. Don't be anxious about the judgment of man or what man might do to you. Instead, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Specifically as holy. He doesn't say honor Him as loving, gracious, all of those things which are true of Him, but as holy specifically because His holiness, His perfection, speaks to this idea of His perfect being in judgment, his righteousness. Right? Contemplate his goodness, his righteousness, his right to judge, so to speak. Be concerned about his holiness, not about the standards of the world around you. Be anxious to be judged by him. Don't worry about being judged by them. That's the way to be liberated from the wrong fear to honor the perfection of Jesus Christ. The larger He becomes in our thinking, in our hearts, the less room there is for the fear of man. And honoring Him is more than just having an idea about Him, of course. Honoring Him is living like Him, which is why Peter tells us, not only be ready, but also do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, Fulfill the mission of Jesus in the way of Jesus, as we've seen Jesus Himself teaching us. You may suffer, Peter says, but that doesn't let you off the hook. It doesn't give you permission to go low. Instead, when you suffer, you must suffer as Jesus did. It is better, he says, to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So, yes, you must profess Jesus with your lips but you must profess Him with your life. You must fear Him, honor Him, reverence Him. Jesus says to everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I also will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I also will deny before My Father who is in heaven. Those are chilling words. That's worse than hearing that Moses trembled with fear at Sinai. For Jesus to say, 
Whoever does not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before the Father, should make you tremble. And those are chilling words by design. Jesus isn't unaware of the effect of what he's saying. It's not that he didn't mean to come off so harsh, but he just wasn't thinking. He intends for this to land the way that it does. Because it is essential for us to reorient ourselves and to value God's judgment over any judgment that man can render. Now, when you think about Christ's work of intercession, what is that work if not acknowledging us before the Father? What is our hope in Christ if not simply that? That when we find ourselves before the judge, there will be one present there who will speak up for us, who will acknowledge us, who will own us, who will say, no, that one's mine. That's what our hope is. And there's a parallel here. Essentially, Jesus telling us, live the way I live. And we're accustomed to thinking of that in his life on earth. We should emulate his example here. But now he's pointing us towards his example now. In the same way that I speak for you before the Father, speak for me before men. Just as I acknowledge you here in the presence of the judge, when you're dragged before human judges, don't be silent. Speak up. Own me. Admit it. Say it and don't fear the consequences because the consequences will be good. The consequences will be glory. It's ironic to realize this, But only fear has the power to liberate us from a life of fear. It's as simple as that. If you live in fear, if you're an anxious person, if you're constantly fretting over what's going on and what people think about you or what they might do to you or what might happen, what unforeseen things are waiting for you around the corner, if that's the way you're living, the only way out of it is fear. The right fear, the fear of God. I'm paraphrasing here, but Malcolm Mugridge once said that belief in God had freed him to be skeptical of men's beliefs. That because of his belief in God, he didn't have to take at face value the crazy stuff that people all around him considered gospel truth. The same thing is true of the fear of God. When you fear God, it frees you to be unafraid of everybody else and everything else. When you contemplate the example of Jesus, Jesus endured humiliation, he endured rejection, he endured death, but he obtained glory. And he calls us to the same trajectory. Should we live in fear of the humiliation and the rejection? Should we live in fear of the death? Or should we live with the hope of glory? It seems obvious if we weren't so bound by the blindness of our own fears, it would be obvious to us what Jesus is saying. Roosevelt told us we have nothing to fear but fear itself. That was in 1933 in his first inaugural address. A few years later, in 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had something to say about fear. It was a little bit different. 
a little closer to the truth. In his prison cell, Bonhoeffer wrote, Those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. Those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. I don't know about you, but when I hear those words and I imagine him writing them, I tremble, but not with fear. That kind of freedom is a freedom I long for. A fear of God that extinguishes my fear of man. I think you can relate to that. Going to be afraid. The important thing is to be afraid of the right thing. If you fear men, you will never fear God. If you fear what men say or do, you will never fear God. But if you fear Him, then you have nothing to fear from anything else. That's what Martin Luther wrote about in A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If you've ever wondered in that fourth verse, there's that that line that you sing and it sounds so inspirational, but it's actually a little grim. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's not even the final verse. Like when we tell stories, they they end like with death. That's the end. But here, the song continues. The body they may kill as if that's nothing. As if that's slight. When to us it seems like such final thing. You can only sing that and mean it if you fear God and not men. That's what Jesus calls us to. Do not fear the world around you. Do not fear what can happen to you. Instead, fear God alone and trust in Him. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.